As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way you give all that we got. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed, where we sometimes discuss Cole Castile and Jim Rod Cap. All right, it's here. It's hard to believe but it is here. The 2020 racing season is upon us, specifically in NHRA competition. As we record, there is one Division II Lucas Oil Series event in the books already, and we are literally hours away from the NHRA national event season opener in Pomona. It is February. It seems like it just ended. And yet here we go again. And who better to have join us um, as we preview the Winter Nationals and the 2020 NHRA season than Kevin McKenna. Kevin, longtime friend of the podcast. He's been on with us for several of our shenanigans in the past. Uh, If you're not familiar with Kevin, you should be. He is a longtime senior editor at NHRA's National Dragster and also with NHRA.com. Kevin joined me today. Uh, It's just me and Kevin today. Jed had the week off. Uh, He'll be back soon. Um, But Kevin and I kind of looked ahead to the 2020 season. We talked about some trends in sportsman drag racing as it applies to NHRA Lucas Oil Series competition. We made some bold predictions, sure to go wrong, Uh, in 2020, and even did our best to, at least in some regards, handicap the fields for Pomona this weekend. So I will uh, let you enjoy, hope you enjoy today's episode. Without further ado, I'll get right to that discussion with Kevin McKenna. It's time for the big interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, joining me now, longtime friend of the podcast. He is the senior editor of National Dragster and NHRA.com. It's Kevin McKenna. What's going on, Kevin? Not much. How uh, has your offseason been? Luke, brief, I would imagine. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to imagine. Obviously, that's uh, that's the main reason that we've got you on here. It's it feels like we just got done with Pomona, and it's time for Pomona again. Winter Nationals are this uh, weekend. 
that that is, yeah, that is be, correct. That is because we did just get done, and uh, I, I don't know the records offhand, but you know we. We had a points meet last weekend, and this is probably the first time in many years we've actually had a points-paying event in January. So uh, it's we're off and running. 2020's here. Yeah, I was uh, I was thinking in my mind that that wasn't completely unprecedented, but it seems like it's been a decade or so since we started this early. Yeah, there was actually um, a few years where Pomona was a late January event. Um, I think when you're, you know, Gainesville even followed back in the seventies as a, a really early February event. But, um, you know, as you said, we've probably been a decade since, you know, we had anything this early and I guess being a leap year and things schedules get a little jumbled and, um, here we are. And so, so if you are, if you're one of those people that, uh, you know, spent most of the holidays counting the days till we go racing again, well, the, the wait's over and we're here. Yeah. And it didn't take long. Um, no, it didn't. To your point, uh, NHRA Lucas Oil Series already underway. Uh, Division two got started last weekend in Orlando, so we've got some initial results, already some uh, some Wally winners from the 2020 season. I just glanced over that this morning, and uh, what stood out to me was Rusty Cook showed out, uh, winner in Super Comp, runner-up in Super Gas. So the former IHRA world champion, long-time um, NHRA contender and, and, and top level contender in those two categories couldn't ask for a better start to his season. Um, nothing else really stood out to me from, uh, from Orlando. Anything that got your attention, Kevin? Yeah, no, I, you know, the, obviously, yeah, as you mentioned, Rusty Cook, that's good. I saw that you had some people, you know, John LaBoose made it to a final, some people that you kind of expect to see uh, up there in the points late in the year, but uh, it was interesting, kind of the dynamic in Division Two, where they have three or four of their races very early in the year. You know, typically before a lot of the other divisions even get started. So, so it kind of gives you, I think, it, it's the rabbit effect, where you know you get some guys that go out there and they build up pretty significant points leads, but in the end, uh, you know, I think a lot of those guys are, are destined for the top ten. But we still seem to have championships that don't get decided until the final month. So, so the old saying of, you know, you, you can't win a championship in, you know, February or March, but you can lose one. I think that absolutely holds true. Yeah, that's a good outlook. And I would imagine for the racers in division two, it's almost got to feel as like, as, as if it's mid season, it's almost like their year starts in September and ends in March. If you would look at it that way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they don't, they don't race most of the summer, you know, it's a little hot. So a lot of, there's usually a lot of rain. But I guess it's probably a, a good deal for them. You know, if you're a racer with the desire and the means to travel, you know, you could obviously hit other parts of the country. Or if you're the type that pretty much sticks to home, I think you just plan your schedule and your vacation time around the early season. And then, you know, the summer, I guess, is where you make hay and, and you know, stick close to home. And then if you're, you know, happen to be in the points, you gear up for maybe a, a big finish in the fall. So I guess it's really just a matter of, uh, you know, geographically where you are, you know, I know up where you are, Division Three, you see guys that, you know, their season is packed into that May, June, July, and, and part of August thing, and then they're pretty much done. Sure. So, it, it's all, I think it's all relative. All right, so obviously our goal here on the show today is to preview not only the upcoming Winter Nationals, but at least to some extent, the impending 2020 season, as it applies to the sportsman ranks. Um, just given your uh, tenure uh, within the NHRA with National Dragster and NHRA.com and your, your focus on the sportsman classes, I'd love to hear your perspective on, on bigger things like this. So let's start here. What, um, what are some of the trends that you've maybe seen coming into the season that you expect to continue or that you kind of see being established uh, in this calendar year? Well, I mean, we saw some interesting things last year as far as, you know, first-time champions, people who had career seasons, and, and I think guys like the Vic Penrod comes to mind, you know, a guy who, who has been, you know, a, a solid racer, but knocked it out of the park last year. Uh, kind of, I think, the same thing a little bit with, you know, Danny Nelson winning, you know, the, uh, the top dragster championship. So, uh, I mean, to me, that's always a good thing where no matter how long you've been racing, I think if, if the stars align, 
you know, I mean, you're always just, you know, maybe one or two lucky rounds away from taking off and putting together a year that, that, you know, some people had never imagined. And next thing you know, you know, you're, you're fighting for a championship. So I, I think there's a little bit of that to look forward to. And I think that's also a result of parody. You know, it's almost everybody who races a national event now is so good. You know, as you know, a lot of races are coin tosses. So that I think is, is a byproduct of that. Yeah, no, well said. And to your point, um, with the exception of Frank Aragona and Comp, all of the what we would label as the true sportsman categories, I believe last year were first time national champions between Vic Penrod, as you had mentioned, and Superstock, Allison Dahl and Stock, uh, mm-hmm. Ray Ray, who's knocked on the door several times, but actually busted sure. open for his first championship in Super Comp, Jeremy mm-hmm. Mason and Super Gas, Danny uh, Nelson, as you had mentioned in, in top drag extra and sandy wilkins another one that's knocked on the door a bunch but busted through in uh in 2019 um some trends that that jumped out to me and i'll uh, i'll throw these we'll bat these back and forth a little bit uh i think it's kind of a given because it is um motorsports and and ultimately the we're all gearheads at heart to some extent so there's and, and as technology uh, improves and progresses there's always an increase in speeds that seems to be apparent year over year specific in the 90 classes and then obviously in uh in top dragster and top sportsman any uh any wild predictions uh well we'll get to wild predictions but any idea what to expect uh bump spots like at indy this year to be in the top dragster top sportsman categories oh it's funny i was actually going to bring that up though that was on my notepad here i think the debut of Top Dragster at Indy was one of the highlights of 2019. No question. I think that was a sh- that was a show in itself. Uh, I, I think the number of racers that even super stock and stock racers that you wouldn't think would have a rooting interest in Top Dragster that went to the fence to watch the qualifying session and just see a string of, of, of you know six ten six twelves and um, that, that that was fantastic. And uh, I mean to me, like as a kid, that was. That was alcohol dragster. That was actually even better than alcohol dragster. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think now, I think you've kind of got among those racers a badge of honor of I'm going to go to Indy and I'm going to qualify. And and I think the guys that can run those numbers, I'm going to go to Indy and I'm going to qualify in the top five. Uh, I, I think you're going to have a, a pretty keen competition to see who can do that. Um, and you know, we, we will probably never get. 40 to 45 cars because I think a lot of guys know their limitation there. Sure. But, but you know, you, you only need, like we had last year, 36, 38 cars, and you've still got a phenomenal competition for that 32-car bump spot. No doubt. To your point, like that top five, assuming all the sessions get in, like that could literally take 6, 10, 5, 6, 10, 7, yeah. something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it reminds you, you know, something a lot of people probably don't remember, but back in the early 80s, um, you know, one that stands out, 1982 Gator Nationals, Super Gas was a qualified 32-car field. Oh. And I remember they, they had well in excess of, I think even not early, probably more than 100 cars. Um, don't know how many qualifying sessions they got, but I believe the bump was, you know, 991.8, 992.5, somewhere in there. It was, you know, even for those days, that was a brutal field to make. Wow. And it kind of reminds kind of reminds me a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. My uh, my father used to tell stories about the the first 990 race. I want to say it was called Pro Gas at the time on the West. Correct. Which may have been mm-hmm. at Orange County in that day for the Winter Nationals. Yes. And uh, he because he had a buddy come out and it if I understood the story right, it, like there were qualifying events at neighboring tracks just to get into that 32 car show or whatever at at the Winter Nationals. Yeah, as I understood it, it you know it was. I think NHRA knew that the days of modified eliminator, as, as much as the fans loved it, you know, that was an expensive class. It was the, the car counts were dwindling. And I think they saw this pro gas thing, which, you know, it, it, it's funny. You have two different schools of thought as to where it came from. It was definitely a Northern California thing, but there was also a pretty significant group in Ohio that was doing the same thing. And yes, in about 1980, NHRA decided, Let, let's bring this in. Let's try a couple of events. And, you know, back then, a nine-second door car was was not a, a cheap race car. It, it, it was almost like a top sportsman car today. You know, it took a fair amount of skill to build and or drive one. Um, so, so they put on a great show. And obviously, by the time 
1982 came around and it became a national event category, there were hundreds of them out there. And, you know, there's people who still love modified eliminator, but if you're looking at it strictly from a financial standpoint, th that might've been one of the smartest things any tree has ever done, because to this day, there are thousands of 890, 990, and 1090 cars out there that compete regularly. No question. No question. Um, what other trends you got on your notes for, uh, for 2020? Uh, well, you know, as we talked earlier about, you know, uh, you know, I said last year you had some interesting things with first-time champions. I also look at some people who, um, you know, are, are, are maybe overdue. Like if you look at the entry list for Pomona, even though the fields aren't huge, it's stacked with talent. You know, you've got a super stock field that has people like Dan Fletcher, Jimmy DeFrank, Justin Lamb. Um, you know, there, there, there's some mega talents out there. And you, you just wonder, is this the year that one of those guys kind of bucks the trend, so to speak, and uh, puts together a monster year as we've seen them do before? Yeah, it was interesting. I was going through, um, I'll actually give some credit to uh, to Austin Williams. He shared this with me before, but I, I dove into it pretty deeply this morning. He's got like the most massive sportsman database I've ever seen for event winners and, and uh, mm -hmm. world championships, point championships. But he had the uh, the list of racers that he called it the 700 club in the in the sportsman mm -hmm. categories, the list of sportsman yep. racers that have eclipsed, seven, eclipsed 700 points in NHRA competition. And it was, it, it was interesting because the list is pretty small. It's 20 something. Um, yes. And, and to this point, no one's ever posted 700 to not win the championship, although Jody Lang got as close as you can get. He was 699 uh, when he a second in stock to Joe Santangelo. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess what stood out to me more than anything from that was I think we kind of take for granted the, the domination that is Peter Biondo over the course of his career. It wasn't like he's got the highest points total ever amassed in NHRA sportsman competition, which he does. He has the top mm -hmm. three. Yes, he does. <laughs> No yeah. one appeared on that list more than twice, except for Peter. I think he was on it four times and, and mm -hmm. the top three. Just incredible. Yeah, I believe I wrote uh, one of my sports report columns years ago was uh, kind of a, a speculation. Could anybody ever hit 800? And you look at the year Peter had, and if he didn't do it in was it 2005, I believe, then it's probably not going to be done because I believe he was one round from a perfect season. and. Um, it, it just, you know, I, I mean, look at, look at Allison Dahl last year, five wins at point speed. If she had done anything significant at national events, you know, she might've been knocking on the 700 point club, but that's not, that's not seven. Was Pete 792 that year? I believe. 792. Yeah. I'm looking at you and you nailed the year 2005 in stock. Yeah. That, that's, that's beyond ridiculous. I, I don't, you know, that, that might be Ty Cobbs or not Ty Cobb, uh, uh, I mean, that might be the home run record. You know, that, that might be something that is decades if it's ever. Eclipsed. Yeah, I'm going to say that, that they'll have to change the point system for anybody to overtake that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, the other trends that I had just, just uh, noting off, and I, I didn't, I honestly didn't do my homework on this. I just know that for Pomona specifically, the entry quotas were lowered and that may just be because there's top drag straight and super street at Pomona this year. So I didn't know if that was um, going to be like a series wide thing for the sportsman classes. I know that most classes at Pomona were 50 or so entries, which it's interesting and in, in some geographical areas wouldn't really have much effect. Some of the races don't fill up specifically on the mm -hmm. West coast. That's a big deal right. because there's so little bracket racing in that part of the country that the serious sportsman racers tend to, gravitate toward NHRA events and you could probably fill a 80 or 90 car field in the majority of classes out there. Yeah. I don't know. They, they, they don't, um, they don't ask for my input on those things. <laughs> um, I, I, and, and, and I'm kind of happy to be divorced from it, but, but yeah, I, I, I do, you know, I hate to see anybody who wants to come to an event who has paid the price to get the great points and not get in. Uh, you know, I wish that, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I would rather see Super Street not contested there and then, you know, open the field up to, to you know, whatever the need might be, 10 or 20 more Super Comp cars, stockers. Um, you know, I, I really, really hope that there's a resolution to that where more people can get to race. Um, you, know, you know, to me, if, if you take the time 
to, to go to five or six Lucas Oil Series events and get that many great points, I personally would like to see you have the ability to go race any national event you care to go to. Yeah, the I would imagine that the struggle in this day and age at, at even the majority, or at least uh, a significant number of national event facilities is just space. I mean, it's amazing. We were talking a little bit off air at facilities now, like, you know, I've been doing this uh, for 20 plus years. And when I started facilities that you just thought were huge, like, man, you could have the biggest race ever there and never fill it up. Now mm-hmm. you have the same number of cars and it's jam packed just because all of our stuff is so much bigger. <laughs> you know, I mean, support it, equipment, rigs, everything like that. You just run out of room. It is. And I think you saw that exposed last year at the U S nationals where sure. you had some, some weather come in before the parking day that delayed parking. You didn't have a place to stack trailers. And then there were some areas that weren't usable. And, you know, I don't need to go into detail about the mess that ensued where, we were four or five hours late running because you just couldn't get all the rigs parked. And, and yeah, that, that, that is a major, um, you know, that, that's a major concern. And, and obviously the, the number of big, big rigs out there, um, you know, has done nothing but to, you know, make it worse. You, you look back at the U S nationals, people say, you know, the old timers, I remember Indy when it used to be 1200 cars. Yes. And it was 1200 open flat trailers, <laughs> right. tow bars. Right. You know, if we ever want to go back to those those days, you probably have the room to do that. But as long as guys have these 80 foot uh, rigs, it's um, that's always going to be a challenge. Yeah, no question. And I'll play devil's advocate, too. Like, I'm with you. I I hate to see specifically on the West Coast. Like, I think it took a grade seven or something to get into at least a a number of classes at Pomona. And that seems extreme. But I Mm -hmm. do think like. I don't want to exclude anyone like you had said. And and I think by and large, we would find a reason to complain about everything. But to me, it's right. almost more um, special to be a little bit elitist. Like I, 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 there's a part of me that says it's better to turn a handful of people away than to have a 130 car quota that doesn't fill where just anybody and everybody can get in. Like just feeling like it's an elite thing and that it's special just to be there. I, I think there's some value to that. Well, th- th- that is absolutely true. And the other thing you have to think about is if you have any sort of a delay, if you have bad weather, you know, it's better to have guys sitting at home wishing that they were at an event than sitting at the event wishing they were at home because they're stuck <laughs> in the mud or, 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 parked in the, or parked in the North 40. You know, you hate to disappoint your customers. But at the same time, I know that this is something that's discussed at NHRA. They really do want people to have an enjoyable experience. And if being parked a mile and a half from the starting line is going to, you know, prevent you from having that experience, maybe it's best that you do trim the car count back a little bit. You know, it's just a matter of finding a happy medium. And, you know, as I said, I'm grateful that I'm not the guy that makes that call. <laughs> sure. The uh, the other thing that jumped out to me, and this isn't a new trend. Um, I guess it's, it's the better part of a decade now we've been toying with this, but it feels like maybe there's one more on the schedule this year. I I noticed that every division outside of divisions one and two, I believe will be hosting a double divisional event in 2020. Um, And having been to several of them, I actually kind of try to build my schedule around the double divisionals just to cut down on, on travel and and weekends away from home more than anything, but there's pros and cons to that too. Um, But certainly just from a value standpoint for the racer, it makes sense to make one trip, get two events in, um, and it feels like more divisions and tracks are kind of latching onto that idea. Well, sure, that, that, that is absolutely a trend. And I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts as to what a con to that would be, because I see mostly positives. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head yeah, <laughs> that would be a negative. The um, Having been to several of them, like obvious, the, the pros are, are obvious, right, in terms of two races for one trip, essentially getting added value. Mm-hmm. The cons to it would be that as the, the majority of the ones that I've been to, at least I'm not the only racer that sees that value and it tends to mm-hmm. be packed, like specifically Topeka, um, the year that uh, they had one at Phoenix, I was out there um, and mm-hmm. it was jammed. It was eight rounds in, in a couple of classes, I believe. And just from a logistical standpoint, 
just getting everything that's supposed to get done over the course of even four days, if there's any weather issues, it's, it's mm -hmm. a lot packed into a week. You know what I mean? So that would be the only kind of con to it in my mind. Um, and I know like Dallas right. last year stretched into Monday, you know, and that, uh, that affects a lot of people too. So it's not just all sunshine and roses, you know, I mean, there's stuff that can come up on them. And then just from a competition standpoint, people look at it in different ways. If you get hot at a double, it's huge, right? But if you go sure. and have mechanical problems or struggle or whatever, like specific to, you know, trying to claim whether it's a division championship or a world championship on the division side, I would make the argument that divisionals are quote unquote more important to your points total, even the national events, just because you have to claim a higher percentage of them and divisionals, obviously right. five of eight versus three of six and two bad divisionals makes it tough, right. To overcome from a point standpoint. So I'm not against going to them. Like I say, I kind of build my schedule around them, but those are definitely weekends or, or trips that are emphasized. Like you got to make those count as a racer too. Sure. So. Well, I guess I have to be careful what, what I say because it's not really public knowledge, although maybe some rumors out there, but I think there's a fairly significant event held each summer that is very likely to be a double in 2021, uh, which would be, uh, it would be a game changer as far as any jury in the sportsman racers are concerned. So you can make of that what you will. I've heard rumblings of that myself. Um, and then too, like, um, the idea of just backing up divisionals to nationals is is mm -hmm. certainly been a trend over recent years that just makes sense for I, th I would assume just about everyone involved. Oh, I think I think it does. I think if you look at it from a track operator point of view, where you know you're really only paying for you know the track prep and everything and all you know all the costs associated with promoting an event like that, you're really only doing it once. Um, so, so that saves you know I think that saves a lot of time and money. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to imagine that, you know, if, if you have the entry list for your national event, that should be a pretty good barometer of what you can expect for a car count for your divisional event, whether it's held the week before or the week after. Um, yeah, I, I think if you look at it from the racer standpoint, the track operator standpoint, from NHRA standpoint, it is pretty much win-win. And, you know, you know your, your points of, of the cons to that thing are, are valid, but they're i think they're far outweighed by the by the positives so yes we will likely see quite a bit more of that in the future yeah agreed especially it seems to especially make sense in the quote-unquote remote locations like brainerd's points meet leading up to the national event or sonoma's points meet leading up mm -hmm. to the national event like that that makes sense to me just because there's not a not to say that there's not a huge racer base in those specific areas but you're talking national and divisional event to make that work you've got to draw from mm -hmm. a pretty wide geographic area to make it make it go um okay let me let me transition a little bit i i kind of teed you up for this and and uh and said we'd have a little bit of fun with it but uh so we talked a little bit about trends so give me we've we've gone down the road before of trying to uh, to actually predict and draft national champions and that kind of ends up being a train wreck and so there's we have some <laughs> listeners that, that that just get off on it but for the most part i think it's got to be difficult to listen to so let's boil it down into three did you do three? I don't even know if I put a number. Let's say three bold predictions for the 2020 NHRA's Lucas Oil Series season. Hmm. Well, it, well, after last year, is it a bold prediction that, that Dan Fletcher gets his his hundred not his hundred and fifth win? Yeah, who'd have thought we'd still be talking about that, right? Well, I, I, I chatted with him last week and, and said, you know, if there's any justice in this world, you go on ahead and you double up at Pomona and, and you knock out. 105 and 106 and you take over sole position in second place uh, the first week of the season and then you don't have to oh, are he and worry david, about it again. Are he and david even right now no no david, david's done at 100 but he's oh. dan is and, and has been one win behind frank manzo ah for, okay uh, you know since the middle of 2018 uh, which obviously is far longer than he ever envisioned he would um, far longer than he's he, ever he gone in his career right yeah Oh, 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 for, for, for sure. You know, he never had a winless season since 19, I mean, 1994 was the year he won his first national. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been a consistent winner every year since. Um, it, obviously, Dan will get back on the winning track this year. It's, uh, it, it's almost impossible to imagine that he doesn't win at least one event, most likely a handful. Um, 
you know, and, and I also look, you're not a bold, a bold prediction. If there's any justice in this world, one day Jody Lang will win a world championship. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. You know, his, you know, as you brought up his, his, you know, scoring almost 700 points and not getting it done. And I believe he's finished second or third, probably four or five times in his career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's usually just one little thing. You know, sometimes he's victimized by the short fields up there. That's what I was going to say. It's so the, hard the, to win a championship six. from Division Six, right? It, it, it is, but you know, again, if you if you do what Allison Dahl did, they're probably going to hand you a big check. So, True. you know, it, it may take may take five wins to do it, but certainly the guy is capable of it. I've never seen anybody with that much talent for racing a slow car, and he's not the least he's not the least bit phased by the fleet of eight second cars that are now in stock. In fact, I think he actually, uh, I think it actually works in his favor because of the way he drives. Um, yeah. It, it, I think there's probably not a person out there that wouldn't love to see him after more than 20 years, finally get it done. Yeah, I believe that. And you actually, you stole my thunder with Fletch. Uh, he was, he was one of my <laughs> quote unquote bold predictions. I'll, I'll predict a, a Fletcher resurgence in the, in the way of, I'll I'll set I'll set the over under at four. I'll say four plus national event victories in uh, in twenty twenty for Fletch. Yeah, I think so. He's you know talking to him. Um, his uh, you know his sponsorship situation has been resolved. He seems to have uh, uh, a little more a little more vigor than he's had in past years. I think the schedule you know schedule that he has laid out is something that's agreeable with him. And uh, you know as, as he says all the time, it's really just a matter of thousands. You know, there's nothing he's doing wrong driving. He's not slumping. It's just he really just needs to continue to do what he's always done, and eventually the tide will turn. Sure. Um, all right, so we got two bold predictions from Kevin. What's number three? Mm, boy, number three. Um, I'm just going to pull this out of thin air. You know, we've obviously seen, uh, you know, uh, th- there are more and more great women racers out there. Um, I don't have a name in mind, but I, I just think you will see at least one, maybe multiple female world champions again in 2020. Um, there's just, especially when I look at the amount of talent that's in say the top dragster class mm. and, uh, you know, more and more, uh, women that are racing in stock and super stock. Uh, I, I just, uh, I think there's quite a few that could get the job done. Yeah, no, super comps the same way. I, I agree completely. That w- that wouldn't shock me a bit. Um, all right. So I've got two other bold predictions. I don't know how bold this one is. I was, uh, I would, I will say that excluding Frank Aragona and competition eliminator, let's remove him from this discussion because back to back champion and seems to have a handle on things at the moment. So if we remove Mm -hmm. him from the discussion in the true sportsman categories, I will say that no, we don't have a back to back world champion in 2020 in the same category just because of how difficult that is to attain now with that said i'll I'll throw in a couple of caveats um it wouldn't shock me a bit if ray ray won the super gas championship it wouldn't shock me a bit if jeremy mason won the super comp championship i actually tend to uh they're they're both awesome obviously in whatever they run but i if i had to like say which class would you uh like almost consider them stronger in it would flip Right. So neither one of those would surprise me. And there's something to um, having that, that target on your back in the class and the pressure being off a little bit in the secondary class that I, I think could have some value. So it wouldn't shock me if either one of those did that. And then uh, the one that scares me in making that prediction probably above anyone else. And obviously the entire 2019 class of world champions is, capable of doing the same thing again but the one that really scares me in making that prediction would have to be sandy wilkins and top sportsman just because oh, i think oh, he's sure. finished in the top five every year that we've had top sportsman as a national category yeah and then uh, my other bold prediction for 2020 and uh this kind of i had actually we had text back and forth a little bit about this this morning because it it surprised me in uh in doing a little bit of research i was thinking the other day i'm like you know I, w- I was just kind of trying to think back through my mind of recent super gas uh, world champions. And I got back almost 
12 years where I could remember like going that's that which says I don't know what kind of sick individual you have to be to actually <laughs> remember without looking up like, the last 10 plus years of world champions in a specific class but I'm like all of those were first time champions in that class it's been a long time since anyone won their second super gas world championship and I got to think like I'm not sure it's ever been done it has twice most recently yeah. by um, Sherman Adcock who won it in I believe it was 2007 to back up his uh, 1990, 1990, right? And yeah. also uh, in the early days of the class, Mr. King Kong himself, Sheldon Gecker, yeah. got to in, uh, let's see, that's 87 and was Gecker's other year? I thought he, 85 seemed to stand out, but that might have been Mike Furter or so. That was Furter, yeah. yeah. Actually, I'm looking yeah. at it now. I may be wrong. It may just be Sherman that's done it twice. Oh, no, Gecker got his second one uh, later in 99. Okay, that makes sense. So, but nonetheless, for now 12 consecutive seasons, it's been a first-time Supergas world champ. There, there have been Peter Biondo won a Supergas championship. Obviously, you've got multiple others. Mm -hmm. um, right. Scotty Richardson, obviously, multiple championships. Um, but my bold, quote-unquote, prediction is that we'll see a two-time um, or a, a return world championship for a super gas competitor in 2020, just because when I look through the field, I'm like, these all look like the guys that should win. Right? <laughs> when I look at the world sure. championships, with the exception of like Mike Sawyer, who's been due to win one for a decade. Right. right. Uh, sure. When I look through the world championship class, I'm like, yeah, I could see all of those guys doing it again. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and to your point, you're someone who could speak through experience what is more difficult winning the championship or defending it? Um, probably defending it just because whether it's spoken or unspoken, whether it's even conscious or subconscious, there is uh, like an added expectation, I think on, in, in year two that is difficult for most to overcome. And do you feel there's a difference in the way your opponents race you when you have a number one on the car? I think that's, uh, I think that's more imagined than anything because I think it can work both ways. I, I think you tend to get people that, that swing for the fences and race a little bit looser because like, what's the worst that can happen? I lose to the guy that's got number one on his car, but that right, can right. work in both ways. Like, you know what I mean? If you, if you take a swing for the fences, occasionally you hit it out too. So I, I don't know that there's as much to that, but I just think it's more internal of, expectation on uh, obviously all of that self-induced but like you know i did this last year i can do this again or what are people going to think if i just follow my nose this year? you know what i mean like you just you create mm -hmm. internal barriers that i think is harder to overcome than anything right um but no i thought it was interesting when you go back in in supergas because at least in theory Supergas is probably, I guess, super stock would be in, in, in a similar mold. And now the top sportsman and top dragster categories. Well, uh, Supergas is different because I feel like it's the one class left where you can have a relatively significant advantage, at least on paper, in terms of equipment. Because the, the range of cars that still compete in Supergas is pretty wide, wider than most classes. And you would sure. just think that someone with the means and the talent would get an awesome super gas car and then um, hone in on that combination because it's not like super comp where cars get flipped every couple of years. Usually somebody gets a super gas car and is in it for 10 years. And you would just assume right. that somebody would put that together and just get this unstoppable combination and get that ball rolling and dominate. And we've historically like since the days of Sheldon Gecker, never really seen that in in the same time period the class that at least in theory would have the most parity which would be super comp we've seen mm -hmm. multiple racers win multiple championships from uh, obviously gary stennett leads the way with four but edmund scotty i think with three each ed richardson with a couple mm -hmm. um you know and in that same time frame it, it's been really rare to see similar domination super gas it just seems like a bit of an anomaly but, but in, in, in super comp and super gas, isn't the car almost irrelevant to this point? And, and I only mean that from the, from the standpoint of the, the cars are so good across the board. The drivers are so good. There's no such thing as a starting line advantage anymore. And you're playing with thousands at the finish line. So as long as you have one of those cars, which are now more easily easy to obtain than they've ever been, uh, I, I, I mean, I think there's so much parity. I think that's why you haven't seen a repeat champion. 
you know, I don't think there's anybody who's significantly, you know, I mean, you're talking about maybe percentage points better than the guy in the other lane, not light years. That's fair. That's fair. They're in both classes. I feel like that pertains even more to super comp, but obviously in, in, in practice, it does not. Um, all right. If, uh, so we, we, that you, we got all your bold predictions out of the way, right? Did you have anything else you were, you were socking uh, no, in? No, I, no, I, I, no, I think we did. Um, <laughs> you know, it was pretty much off the top of my head. Uh, I'm sure if we were to revisit this after the first quarter of the season, um, we'd probably come up with, with some, uh, you know, some more creative things and, and to see kind of w- which way it, it, it's headed. But um, yeah, listeners, know, don't uh, don't tag this and replay it in, in August and tell us how <laughs> stupid we are, because I'm sure right. that we're, we're mostly off base all the way around. Um, no, wait, wait, till, wait till November and then tell us how stupid we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and then we'll challenge you. OK, well, next February, you call it um, <laughs> what um, well, we'll We'll bring back the uh, the tricky tipster segment because I don't know how uh, I don't know how 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 uniform knowledge it is, but you are the tricky tipster, right? Says who? <laughs> ah, okay, maybe that's I... just assumed on my part. So we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll take it to the sports and ranks, just specific to Pomona, and this is not something that that we'll make habit of throughout the year. But it is the first race mm-hmm. of the year. It is the Winter Nationals. Everybody's excited about it. I don't know that we necessarily need to handicap the the top ten in each field, but maybe a uh, a favorite um, in each category for the season opener. Okay. Um... Boy, you're going to put me on the spot here without an entry list in front of me. But, um, you know, I, I guess if we want to start with comp, um, I'm not even sure, you know, I, I know that, you know, obviously the, the, the Lane family brings uh, some fast stuff down from Division Six. that They tend to have a fair amount of success there. Um, that might not be a, a bad place to start. Um, yeah, I'm just – I actually didn't even study comp earlier, but I was just pulled up the sheet in front of me. And actually, we I saw that Cody was entered in super stock, but I do not see a lane on the entry list. Um, we'll ah, jump okay. out to me, maybe Tony Mandela, um, Doug Lambeck, who obviously he just won the uh, world mm-hmm. finals in Pomona. What is Tibor driving in comp? I see Tibor Kadar entered in comp and a D kind of all. Um. Oh, I believe that's – is that the Cowan car? Oh, yeah. It says Cowan and Smith, yep. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that that's that's a pretty good car with, obviously, a very competent driver. And then, actually, I'm just calling up a list now. So, oh, uh, here, here's something interesting. I see Dean Carter back after – I was trying to bring that up as well. It's two-time national champion, Dean Carter, right? Yeah, and, and he, you know, um, when I lived in California, followed him run the nostalgia stuff quite a bit. Um but, uh, you know, and, and his car was always very competitive there. And it's, it looks like, yeah, he's still in a being nostalgia dragster. So uh, that should certainly be um, a car to watch. All right. So, so yeah. lay some odds. Who's the favorite in comp? Um, hmm. Well, you know, I see Art Hodges, too. That's a pretty good car. Joe Mazaris has won a national event. Uh, I'm going to go with Tony Mandela. Okay, I, I, I will think. I, I I know that's a good car. You finished fourth last year. I know that's a good car. I mean, you're taking the chalk, but good car, good driver. Um, that's that's probably your favorite. All right, fair enough. I'll uh, I, just to just to fade you each time. I'll, I'll pick somebody. I don't. Uh-huh. I, I'll try not to. Uh, I'll try not to ever coincide with your picks. I'll go with uh, I'll go with Lambeck just from time of year and that little peanut motor is going to be flying in the in the mm-hmm. good air in February. Mm-hmm. Uh, Superstock, which is just loaded, your typical West Coast Superstock race. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's tough to win everywhere, but you just get the typical field on the West Coast with DeFrank and Lamb and Lane and, um, I'm sorry, Lang and uh, Rizzoli, and then you add Fletcher into the mix. Like, I don't even know, I don't even know how you handicap that. No, I, I see at least uh, probably close to a half dozen uh, former or current world champions, you know, Ryan McClanahan is in there and Calvert. Uh, you know, obviously Justin Lamb is a monster talent. I don't know what went wrong last year where he, he did not win at his normal pace. Um, but I can only assume that would uh, uh, put a chip on his shoulder for this year. Um, you know, to show up in Pomona without a single digit number on the car, um, that's something that probably won't happen next year. So, uh, so, so there's my pick. 
Yeah, I said I was going to fade you each time, but I, 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 I think <laughs> Justin's got to be the favorite. Um, and, and to um, to your point, the you know, obviously didn't have a year up to his expectations, which are which are lofty, right? I mean, basically the expectation sure. to World Championships in a year because you know we can. Um, but I, you may have written on this. I know we discussed it on the podcast with. Um, Fletcher's back-to-back runner-ups to end 2019 ended that streak of mm-hmm. what was it 20 some odd consecutive years of winning a national. Sure. Mm-hmm. Did you know that the current active longest active streak now belongs to Justin Lamb? Um, I, I, think, I did not, but uh, in the sports media, I think he's up, yeah, yeah, I think he's up to eight or nine years in a row now, which is I think just further emphasizes the impressiveness of what Fletcher has done, but nonetheless, oh, yeah. somebody has got to have the active streak. Yes. Um, you know, the, the other guy who, you know, I think, you know, you look at what happened to Kyle Rizzoli last year coming within a round or two of winning the championship, um, doing, you know, doing, getting to the semis in two classes at the finals. Um, you know, th- th- there's a guy that probably, didn't want the season to end. I think he's probably happy that uh, the Winter Nationals is a week earlier this year. So you probably look to see if he can carry that momentum into this season. Yeah, and it seems like, I mean, you list off all of those West Coast hitters that, that we had discussed earlier, and they have all had success everywhere. But it seems like Rizzoli has an awesome track record at Pomona. Yes. All right, let's move on to stock. Well, speaking of awesome track records at Pomona, um, was actually doing some research the other day and saw that uh, even though he lives in Indiana, Jeff Taylor tends to uh, hit the cash register out there fairly often. And he did, um, you know, last, last fall, um, you know, I, I see that he's on the entry list again. That would be, uh, you know, probably my pick just um, for old time's sake. And if you uh, are looking for a dark horse, not, not really even a dark horse, but, you know, Leo Glassbrenner is another guy that lives two miles or he, he works two miles from the track. Um, you know, he tends to have a fair amount of success there as well. Yeah, no question. I uh, was looking through this entry list and stock is stacked as well, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best to help your, uh, one of your bold predictions come through and uh, I'll take Jody Lang to start the season off on the right foot. Ah. stock. Sounds good. Sh- should I be letting you go first here a time or two? Is this unfair? <laughs> Okay. Okay. Uh, super comp. I will, um, let's see super. Oh, I, I might steal your thunder here because, uh, we both predicted him to have a big year and we didn't pick him in super stock, but, uh, I'll take Fletcher to, uh, to start his year off, uh, on the right foot with a, uh, with a win in super comp at Pomona. Okay. Uh, you know, a guy that I was impressed by the, the, the more I see him, I know he doesn't travel a whole lot, but, uh, Marco Pervelaris seems to, uh, have uh, quite a bit of natural ability and uh, um, you know, that, that would be one of the guys that stands out here on the entry list. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, the super comp is, you know, 51 cars and there, there is a lot of talent on here. Um, but yeah, there, there, there you go. There's, there's my pick. No question. I actually, uh, I, I was going to go Marco and super gas. So we're, we're repeating without necessarily, <laughs> without necessarily going with you. Who are you like in the 990 category? Oh boy, who do I like? You know, it's always, always interesting to look sometimes to see how many people might have come out from, uh, you know, uh, if there's any of the East Coast guys, and I really don't see anybody. Um, yeah, like I'm looking at the entry, the non-division seven numbers are guys that you would mm-hmm. you're used to seeing out mm-hmm. west: Jesse Serna, Kevin Wright, mm-hmm. Ed Olpen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, no, no strangers. Sure, in division yeah. seven, for sure. Um, I mean, if, if you want bold, I, 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 a guy who, you know, I worked with his wife for years, but I always like Brad Pierce. It's one of the slowest cars in super gas, but you know, he's also a guy that does very, very well um, at Pomona. And I, I don't know whether the car being, you know, 125 mile hour car, how much that works to his advantage, but um, he, he does well. So, so here's, here's your, you know, your long shot pick in uh, the 990 class. No. And you see Pierce is a great example of that. And it, it seems even more common in 990. Like obviously Chris Garrettson is the picture of it in, in 890, mm-hmm. but you see a lot of guys, whether it's 
Brad Pierce or Tim Nicholson or a handful of others that just have tried and true combinations that don't get caught up in the idea that I've got to go 990 at 175 or whatever the case may be and are really, really tough to beat. Well, I mean, Jeremy Mason's last year's world champion, not that he's at the slow end of the category, but he is very much at the middle and just proved yeah. that it, the, the top number on the scoreboard is more important than the bottom number, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I like the Brad Pierce pick, especially there. Like you say, it seems like he's got an incredible track record at that facility. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the first years. Is it the first time that Super Street's ever been contested at Pomona? I know it's the first time in several uh, years. I, I, I believe so. I, I can't think of um, a time when it certainly certainly the Winter Nationals. Um, yeah, and, and I know that that's exciting to that group of racers. And you look at this entry list, again, I was kind of expecting to see a handful of, uh, uh, of super street racers make some journey across country just to be at Pomona because, A, it's Pomona, and B, super street's only contested at, what, one event in each division, right? So there's not that many opportunities if you're a super serious 1090 racer. Didn't see a lot of right. that. It's littered with Division six, Division seven racers. But even at that this uh, field is nasty strong for, I mean, lots of recognizable names in the 1090 category. Yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, Greg Ventura, I know has had quite a bit of success, 1090 and, and 990 racing. And uh, uh, I think who, who down here, you know, Greg Dreer is a guy that I recognize that, that, that's had um, a, a fair amount of success out there. Ryan Harum, obviously that, that, if you want my pick, I'll, I'll go there. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is strong. Yeah, hard to bet against Harem. I, I just noticed that we've got the reigning Division Six and Division Seven champions in the field between Frankie Giroux and John Dexter. Mm -hmm. um, I'm with you. I'll go with. Uh, I'll actually just stick to my. Uh, this is bracket racing elite roots here, and uh, and I'll and I'll go with Dave Gotts to get the win in Super Street. But ah. I'm telling you, like you could pick out 25 names of this entry list of 40 and it wouldn't surprise me a bit if they won super street mm -hmm. at Pomona. Yep. Uh, and uh, top dragster this year also contested at Pomona, which I believe didn't Mike Coughlin win top dragster last year at Pomona. So this isn't a first there, but uh, it was either last year or the year before. Yeah. Yeah. But always fun to see the fast bracket class on the big stage mm -hmm. and another just uh, littered entry list. I think um, I had a note here. Yeah. I'll go with, uh, I think there's a couple of former world champions in the field, but uh, I have a hard time betting against Paul Nero. I'll, I'll take Nero. Yeah. 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 Paul Nero is, is definitely a top level talent. Um, you know, a couple of names that stick out to me. He does, you know, his car is not fast, but, but he gets Thomas bear, uh, mm -hmm. obviously a, 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 you know, an instructor much like yourself. So uh, he's got that going for them. And then, uh, you know, I see, Ryan Pretty, you know, we know him from racing with the Mountain View team, running the factory showdown car, but uh, he, he's, you know, he's pretty strong and a fast dragster as well. And the fun one, uh, Top Sportsman, I believe this is the first time Top Sportsman has come to Pomona. So we actually have a full field, every sportsman category contested at the Winter Nationals this year, correct? Yes, yes. And that's I don't know if that's be because it's the 60th anniversary. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not, not, not really sure what the thinking was there, but um, it is interesting. And obviously we, we, we've got to pick the elephant in the room here of Bo Butner making his top <laughs> sportsman debut. And it, it, it would almost be comical if you didn't see what he did last year in his super gas debut. Um, you know, I don't put anything past the guy. I mean, obviously I know he's driving a good car. It's probably not that much different to drive. And his pro stock car, at least in terms of speed, um, so that th that will absolutely be worth watching. Um, don't know if I'd want to make him my pick, um, although it certainly wouldn't be wouldn't be a, a horrible pick. Um, but uh, can you uh, talk about like you, know. you just say uh, somebody calls me and says, "Hey, Luke, you gonna drive my top sportsman car?" Like I would say yes because that sounds awesome, mm -hmm. but I would be really intimidated to sit in the seat. Bo's not gonna have that problem right? No. This is nothing no. new. Um, and to your point, he's got a track record of, um, of, of making impressive debuts. He owns national event wins in, let's go, pro stock, comp, super mm -hmm. stock, stock, super gas. Am I missing anything? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
Only Jaggies no, done that, it more? Uh, or that'd be five. There's a few that have done it in he's, six. He's right? got five. Yeah, there, yeah. There, there's quite a, actually a pretty fair number on sitting on six. Um, but still, I, I know that he wants to get to six and probably ultimately to seven. Mm-hmm. So, so he's got a little work to do. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I will say this: if he won the race, it wouldn't surprise me in the least. Um, but you know, I also like the two guys at the top of the sheet. You know, <laughs> sure. Crumlidge. You know, b- barely missed last year. Uh, probably a little extra motivation. So um, let me go there, and, and I'll leave Okerman for you if that's uh, the direction you're inclined to, to head. Yeah, no, Crumlidge would have to be the the betting favorite. Certainly, he's back to back years now finishing the top three nationally, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. I'll go a little off the grid because I'm not. Uh, the the odds probably maybe not, wouldn't favor this at, at this point in his career, but it is hard for me to bet against the third. I'll, I'll take Mike Furter and pull one out in Pomona. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you look at his history, and there's a guy who was winning races in the late seventies. Um, I, I remember, uh, uh, I don't know, you, you probably have to be my age to remember, but back when they used to do the Grand 990 program, where if you went 990 with a zero, you got a $1,000 bonus. If it wasn't hit, it rolled over. Um, one year at Indy, it had rolled over most of the season, and I remember him hitting it for $7,000. Wow. <laughs> which, which was a huge, a huge bonus for, for those days. But the, sure. Yeah, there's a guy, the point is, that here's a guy who's basically been there, done that. So, uh, yeah, not, not a horrible pick at all. No question. All right. Well, I'll be on pins and needles this weekend. I actually got fired up just watching results from Orlando last week, even though it was rain delayed and uh, kind of hard to follow what was going on. So I- I'll be looking forward to keeping up with Pomona and the entire 2020 season. I know that I'll be looking forward to reading the sports report, among other things, and all the great contributions that you make, Kevin. Uh, for our listeners that may be a little bit out of the loop, where is the best place to find you? Uh, you know, com. obviously, our, you know, we, we update content pretty much every every day and, and as the season goes on I, I think you will see more sportsman related content as you and i talked earlier uh obviously the pages of the national dragster and then um I, I try to have a fairly active social media following so uh i'm not hard to find absolutely on twitter that's uh, at that guy k mac right uh, that is correct Good stuff. All right. Well, make sure to give Kevin a follow. Keep up with his work. Kevin, as always, we appreciate having you on the show, sharing your insights, having a little bit of fun with us. I'm sure we'll revisit this at some point and talk about how wrong we were today, but it has been fun to catch up. <laughs> Nothing beats a good confession. So, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm down. I, I enjoy these as well. And uh, let's, uh, let, let's keep it up. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. Take care, bud. All right. Thanks, Luke. See you. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services, quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.